0: This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I have what it says I have. I am about to be taught the life-changing word of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And once I have heard the word, believed the word, and acted on it, I will see the word manifest in my life. In my life. Today, Today is my day for manifestation. Day for manifestation. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to, all right, I'm gonna set my timer. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right. So I want to talk to you today about your God-given authority, your God-given authority. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And I'm going to try to set it up and really challenge you um, to really think about what it means to be a believer, to really think about your identity in Christ. Um, One of the interesting things is that if you study you know, the historical context of scripture, what you will find is that the reason that they even had Pharisees and Sadducees and different sects is because people wrestled around the word. And so what that means is that when people heard the word, they went, is that true? And then they looked at whatever means of access that they had in order to determine where they fell on scripture. Well, you can see that thing happening today. You know, that's why we have 37,000 denominations, because people are like, hey, I believe this, but I don't believe this. Which is why it's a little problematic to be like, oh, well, if you just study the word, we would all be in agreement. Which actually isn't true, because we all come to the word based on our perception. And so what needs to happen a lot of times is what God is trying to do is that he's trying to shift our perception so we can see the word clearly. It's not that the word doesn't say the same thing. It's that our perception determines what we see and your perception shapes your reality. You like already thinking feeling cycle, right? So however you think about God is going to depend how you see God. Yeah. Say how I think about God will determine how I see God. So if you think that God is a hard taskmaster, then that's what your life is going to look like. Every time you turn around, God got you climbing up a mountain, God oppressing you, God got a thorn in your side, because that's who you believe God is. If you believe that God is a good father, then when you get in trouble, you like, hey, I'm in trouble, come help me out. Why? Because your perception about God, the Bible says that God doesn't change. But who God is to you is based on what you think about God. Now, that makes perfect sense because who I am to you is based on what you think about me. There are people who think I'm nice. There are people who think I'm mean. There are people who don't like me at all. There are people who love me a lot. Same person. It's just how you see me. So you have to be willing to allow God to deal with how you think before you ever get revelation. Because otherwise, you just filter revelation through what you think you already know. So I'll use a story that most of you have probably seen. It's a story that circles on um, social media, typically around Thanksgiving. And it's a granddaughter who is cooking a ham. And she cuts the butt off, she gets ready to cut the butt off the ham off. And she says, Mama, why do we always cut the butt off of this ham? Mama said, I don't know. I just did it because my mama did it. And then she calls her mama and said, mama, why do we always cut the butt off the ham? She said, well, I did it because I didn't have room for, in my stove, my oven for the whole ham. So now they're doing this thing as truth, but it was based on the limitation that they had. So how many of you are treating things as truth that are really based on the limitation that you have based on how you sit around God? So one of the things I think is really important for you to understand is that God is perfectly okay offending your thinking to get you the truth. God does not care about how any of us think about anything like our commitment to hold on to. Well, this is what Big Mama said, and this is how they did it in my church, and this is how it happens in the south, and this is how it happens in the north. He don't care nothing about that. But the Bible says that if you get hungry and thirsty for righteousness, he will begin to dismantle the things that hold you in place. But the Bible also says this. It says that you can be so committed to your religious beliefs that you will literally deny the power of God. You are so committed to your theology. You are so committed to your commitment of how God does what he does that you will literally deny his power in order to keep your truth. That's exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees did when Jesus came. Because in order for them to admit that Jesus was Jesus, they would have to admit that all the stuff they had been teaching was wrong. So it was just easier to say that Jesus wasn't Jesus so they could hold on. Now, if you're in here, what I submit to you is that you're not willing to say that Jesus isn't Jesus per se. But are you minimizing who Jesus actually is in order to hang on to your story? So. I'm going to give you a, time, a story about that and show you that in scripture. So, you know, I grew up in a church and in the church, they, I've been in church all my life. And so here's the other thing that's important to understand. Most of the time when people are teaching us around the word like anything else, they're teaching us the best that they know. Right now I'm teaching you the best that I know. It may be all right. It may not all be right. My goal is not to deceive you. My goal is to teach from the revelation that I have. So sometimes when you start to get other revelation, you get offended with your pastor back home. You get offended with your first pastor, your third pastor, your whatever. Guys, they didn't get up in the morning and say, let's go to church and trick them. They were teaching you what they believed to be true. And so now you can just go, okay, now I know more. I thank them for what they offered to me. I keep the parts I need and the parts I don't need anymore. I move on from. Hello? Because you don't have to be salty because for everything you think you know and everything I think I know, there's still a bunch we don't know because God is too big and God is too infinite and God is too diverse and he's too magnificent for all of us to be able to wrap our brains around him. So God will offend your thinking to bring you to truth. Which is why you ought to be really, really careful when you hear something that offends you because it may be proof that you need some more truth. So, let me tell you about this thing. So, I grew up in a church, and in the church, they, they made a point. We had good pastor, good church, good people. But they told us a lot that we was filthy rags. Anybody hear that growing up? We were just, you know, filthy rags, wretch undone, sinner saved by grace. Right, So. That's true before Christ, but then after Christ, the scripture actually says something else. Well, they never told us that's something else. They never told us that. So I'm in a conference one time several years ago. I'm actually, so it's actually 17 years ago because I was pregnant with Caleb. And I'm sitting in this conference, and this man begins to teach, and he's like, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm like, mm-mm, <laughs> mm-mm. He's like, I want you to confess. I want you to repeat. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Mm -mm. I'm not about to say that because what's running in my thinking-feeling cycle is that I am a sinner saved by grace. So how dare I say that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Then he takes us to the scripture. Let's look at it. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. And then he says, I want you to say that you are created just like God. I leaned over to Evan and I said, we're going to hell in here today. <laughs> I, I'm ready to go because just any moment fireballs are going to set this whole place on fire. We're going to die. And then, so 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 It says, for he hath made him to be sin for him who knew no sin, that we might be made. What? I I had to read that scripture for months before I was comfortable saying, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So just because you hear something and you like, that don't feel right, That don't mean it's wrong. It may just mean that you were taught something wrong, and now you have to dismantle what you were taught wrong in order to get to truth. So say that. Say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So has anybody ever thought about this? First of all, let me say this. I really appreciate who my husband is as a pastor. Because he's an educator, he's always been like, let's think about this. I know they said that, but contextually, how does this relate with the 30 other scriptures that we know? And so he really has challenged me to be a student of the word and to realize that there are things that I used to believe that I don't believe anymore. How many in here, there are some things you used to believe about the word that you don't believe anymore? And then now when you got revelation, you don't even understand how you believed it to begin with. you like, this is so, like, this is just out here in black and white. That's why the Bible says that when our eyes are veiled with darkness, the darkness seems so dark because it doesn't make sense. And the best example I have is multiplication. When they first showed you those charts all the way to 12, you just thought there is no way in the world... I am ever going to know all of these off the top of my head. You were still counting on your fingers. And then because you kept looking at them and memorizing them and understanding, here's my light bulb moment. The day that I went, oh my God, three times eight is 24 and eight times three is 24 God wants you to have those kind of moments with Him where you, like, there is no way. How can I be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? How can I have authority and dominion over my life? How can I be free from sickness and disease? And then you go, oh, I'm free from sickness and disease. Glory, because there are things in math you cannot do until you know multiplication. And there are things in life you cannot do until you know your position. So you've accepted Jesus. Now what? I figured that most everybody who knows Jesus, because the Bible says they who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. If you know him, you got to believe there's more to life than just getting up every day. Going to work at a place that you really don't want to work at because it's the only way that you know how to pay your bills. Living in a place that's really not the place that you want to live in, but it's the only place that you can afford. Managing sickness because you don't know that healing is available. Watching people get beat up by life and not being able to say anything other than, I'm going to pray for you. But then when you pray, you just pray the problem, not the solution. You have to believe there's more to life than this. And so the only way people get to more is that they have to start asking questions. The Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. If you are bored in your life, you ought to be asking, why am I bored? Boredom is probably an indication that you're not living your full life. That you have not stepped into your identity. You have not stepped into your authority. I was thinking about this um, because I've been understanding how this thinking, feeling cycle works. And so it's like we go to I went to church for years and I don't know, I'm not judging my church. I'm just saying where I came from. I went to church for years. And every Sunday at the message, they took us back to the cross and they told us because I'm a good Baptist girl. They told us all night, Friday night he died. All day Saturday, all night Saturday, and then early Sunday with a little hum in it, and then everybody starts shouting and jumping and stuff. But what we missed was what happened after he got up. And so what I believe is that most believers, you live as though he didn't get up. We talk about how amazing he is. We talk about how dope he is. But other than the fact that your salvation has done two things in most cases. One, it has somewhat eased your mind about eternity. It hasn't really eased your mind about eternity because you're still scared to die. You still think that people who die got lost. I'm so sorry for your loss. They went home. They not lost. Lost is when my dog Gidget goes down the street and we can't find her. We know she's still there, but we can't figure out where she is. How is somebody who's a believer, what do you mean? You act like you don't know where they went. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Listen, you can stay sad if you want to, but if you really believed in eternity, I'm going up yonder. Why do you act like you don't know where they went? Hear me. There is a difference in saying I am sad because I cannot see them every day. I won't even bother to tell you that you actually could see them every day because the Bible says that we are seated in heavenly places and you have access to the heavenly ramps. I won't even try to take you there now. I'll just let you try to manage not being in grief for 15 years because Big Mama died. The second thing that maybe you got out of it is you try to be a nicer person. For most people, Christianity is just about how nice you can become. I'm going to be sweet. I'm going to be kind. It's kind Buddhist. It's sweet atheist. At some point, does anybody ask, is there anything more to this than being a nice person who try to pretend like I'm afraid of death but actually am and I find it out every time somebody dies? Okay. All right. So, your God given authority. I actually hope you're like, oh, my God, I need to go home and study my Bible. Good. Because when you're leaving church, if you're not thinking, I need to go home and study my Bible, you're either not engaged, you're not thinking, or you don't want anything more. So you have authority over your life. Let's just, let's kick down a lot of sacred cows today, okay? So people like to say this. Some of you are going to get upset. I'm okay with that. People like to say God is in control. They take that from the position that God is sovereign. But they neglect the fact that in God's sovereignty, he has given control to humanity. So when your life is in shambles, you go, I'm just going to chill because God is in control. No, 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 no. You are actually in control of your life. That's really offensive to many of us because then we would have to address why our life is so raggedy. See, if God is in control, then God got me down here in this pit because he's trying to teach me something. And he took me through this because I need a lesson. And I'm on this mountain Because he needed to know that I would serve him no matter what. And I know that this is true because you love the means to say things like this. You know, you've been in the pit and God is going to bring you out and you're going to get to shine in the face of everybody who hated on you. I'm just, you know, he's preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You scared of your enemies. You won't even come to the table. Table been prepared. It ain't a newly prepared table. Come to the table where the feast of the Lord is going on. So you have authority. So, what is authority? What is authority? You got to think about your thinking, guys. You, you got to have, you, you have to wake up in church. You have to wake up in the study of the word. So when somebody says a word, you got to know what the word means. The other day, Edwin sent me this guy's dissertation. I think it was this dissertation, right? Told me to read it, right? Well, he used a lot of big words. So as I was reading, I kept having to go to the dictionary to define it because trying to read over the word wasn't going to help me get the full understanding. So people say things like we got authority, but then when you say God is in control, I know you don't understand what it means to have authority because if you did, you wouldn't keep saying that God was in control. God is not a terrorist. Everything that's bad is happening to you in your life is not because God is trying to teach you a lesson and draw you closer to him. But if your theology is struggle, you will fight me for that. Some of you right now want to go outside and fight me. It would be a very bad idea, but... You're mad, you're offended, you like, how dare she say that? My grandmama loved the Lord and my grandmother still died of cancer. But did your grandma believe in healing? Because your grandmama can love the Lord and not believe in healing. And your grandmama can love the Lord and not believe that God is her provider. And you can love the Lord and not believe that God is a solution to whatever mental issues that you have. This ain't got nothing to do with loving the Lord. This is about do you know who you are? I just want to say this. I love my kids. They do crazy stuff all the time. They love me, too. This clearly isn't just about love. This is about having an understanding of what relationship does. And if you really study the gospel, you will find that the reason that the Pharisees and Sadducees were so offended with Jesus is because he knew who he was. Because once he knew who he was, you couldn't tell him what to do. So a lot of our theology is rooted in controlling people so we get offended when people find out who they are because if they find out who they are, they won't do half the stuff that we've been telling them that they got to do in order to be saved. Well, okay, let's look at what authority is. Authority is the power to give instructions and enforce obedience. So God in heaven is in control. He then gives you power and authority. We're not going to Genesis yet. We will start in Matthew because in Matthew, Jesus says, I have been given all power in heaven and earth and now I'm giving it to you so go do something. Besides, go to church. Oh, oh, I know. I'm going to use my power to just suffer through life. I'm just going to. I'm just going to use my power to carry as much weight of poverty and oppression and depression and anger and strife as I can have. And then I'm going to be like, I made it. I'm every woman. Look how strong I am. Okay. So, sadly, our focus on sin, the church's focus on sin, because the world don't talk about sin. The church is the one that's always got something to say about sin. Now, Jesus has dealt with sin according to the blood. You know, power, power, wonder working I was so glad you sung that song. I was like, there is power, power, wonder working power in the blood. What's the power that's in the blood, guys? So you sing that there is wonder working power, but then you think sin is bigger than the wonder working power which is why we don't know what to do with people who we think have sin issues. We're not sure what to do with them because we're not really sure that the blood is bigger than sin. So sadly, our focus on sin causes many believers to live without using our power. We are more convinced about what is wrong with us than what God has said is right with us. We are more convinced about by our flaws. We are more convinced by our short tempers, our fears, our insecurity, what somebody else did for us than that scripture that says, he became sin who knew no sin to make us righteous. And here is the duplicity of our thinking. We will say things like, thank God for mercy, Mercy is new every morning, and then we will come over here and say, that was karma. Well, it, 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 I'm sorry, is, it, is mercy new every morning, or is it karma? And in truth, most of you believe in both, which is why you live in the tension of both. Something happens, you go, what did I do in my life to deserve this? You know what? I remember that time when I was in third grade and I stole the pencil from my teacher. This is probably my recompense for this thing that I did. You know, I deserve this because of that time I did this and this. Have I worked hard enough? Did I give enough? Did I pray enough? You know what? The truth of it is, my healing hasn't manifested. I haven't fasted enough. I need to give God more because you really do believe that it's not based on his mercy. It's not a free gift. It's not something that you just get because because you are his you know my kids go on vacation with me cuz they mine they have not done anything to qualify to travel with me except be mine and in fact if i judged whether they should go on vacation by how they keep their rooms they wouldn't go nowhere because of mercy, I don't take them because of what they do. I take them because of who they are. Because even when they ain't acting like Stricklands, they are Stricklands. So even when you ain't acting like you his because you scary and afraid to apply for the job, won't lay hands on the sick, keep cussing people out. What he does is he looks at you and he says, but you still mine. I think if you really got it, your response would be a little different. It now means that there are things I don't work myself into. There are things I just show up and get because if you open me up, you would see on the outside, I look like a black woman, but on the inside, I got God DNA because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You keep judging me by how I look, but he keeps judging me by who I am. When I understand that, I never ask again if I qualify (laughs) because I always qualify. Everything that he says is mine. The only thing I don't qualify for is the stuff he told me not to touch. But if he told me I could have it, I don't care who else applies for the job. I don't care that there's not a cure for it. What does that mean to me? I qualify for healing because I'm his. It'll change your whole life. So our incorrect view of who we are causes us to have an incorrect view of life and life circumstances. So we end up seeing ourselves as victims, limited and subject to what life gives us. We have grown accustomed to waiting on someone else to rescue us. We see ourselves as at the whims of the enemy's tactics, life circumstances, and God's tender mercy. We are accustomed to just making it. It is acceptable for us to just make it, but it is also beneath us to just make it. We're accustomed to it because it's deeply rooted in our theology. I'm just trying to get you to wrestle around the word. You don't have to agree with all this. You should go study your Bible. You should say, is she telling the truth? Because that's what I did the first time I heard somebody say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Are they telling the truth? Because God can't deny himself. That's why when Jesus said, when Peter said to Jesus, if it's you bid me to come, all Jesus could say was come. If you ask him for truth, he obligated to tell you. But you never ask for truth if you think you got it all. So then there's a group of us. We don't play victim. In fact, we're offended by the thought of being victim. But here's how we get our victory. From the grind. From the hustle. From team no sleep. From work hard no matter what. Neglect your health. Get your grind on. If you don't work for it, you're not going to get it, which is also beneath you. Am I saying you don't work? I am saying that when you work from position, the work is different. When you work from position, the work is different. The example that I always give is somebody who's trying to be married versus someone who is married. I watch women all the time thinking they can play wife well enough to be chosen as wife. You cook, you clean, you take his clothes to the cleaners, you super freaky, you in it, you still ain't a wife. You got whole wives that don't cook, (laughs) you got whole wives that don't cook. I hope y'all have sex, though, if you don't, talk to me. Uh, you should be having sex. No, I'm serious. You should be having sex. Listen, if you're married, you really should be having sex. You should be having good sex. And let me tell you why. Because as far as I can tell in the Bible, you're not going to get to in heaven, so you should tap it all out here. <laughs> in heaven, it's going to be something different. So I try to, I try to store it for eternity. Oh, my God, we're talking about sex in church. Yeah. Okay. So we, uh uh-huh, you should receive. So when you have a grind and hustle mentality, you believe everything is hard. You believe deliverance is hard. You believe healing is hard. You believe marriage is hard. You believe money is hard. You believe parenting is hard. So you, what you believe dictates your life. Your whole life is hard because everything that come out of your mouth is how hard it is. Oh, my God, it's so hard. I have people who say things to me like this. I have five kids. Everybody say five. Raise your hand. Five. Five. I have people who say things to me like this. I have two kids. I can't get to church. It's so hard. What? It's hard for you because you believe it is. It wasn't hard for me because I didn't believe it was. I figured if I was going to church, they was going to church. It's just what we did. You believe everything is hard. And what if it keeps being hard because that's what you believe? You believe love is hard, that's why you can't find it. You believe there are no good men, that's why you can't find one. You believe it's hard to make money, that's why you don't have none. No, I'm trying to get you to think because if your fundamental belief is that something is hard, that's what you're always going to be looking for. Now, here's the problem. The Bible says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God will show up with easy stuff and you will kick it to the curb. Go, that can't be God. It ain't hard. If you believe that everything is supposed to be hard, you will pray and ask God to bless you. He will bring you something. You go, that's the devil. That can't be God. That ain't hard enough. I didn't cry enough over that. I didn't beg enough for that. So what you receive from God is based on what you think. So if you believe everything is hard, then everything will be hard. So... And the real reason that is hard, guys, is because we are attempting to manifest outside of the way we were designed to manifest. It is actually harder for you to be average than it is for you to be extraordinary. Because you are created in the image of God who is extraordinary. So in order for you to be average, you have to suppress who you naturally are. You literally have to hold yourself back to be average because you are created in the image of a God who is nothing close to average. So if you are average, you are fighting who you really are. You have to fight to keep sickness because you healed. I know those things get offensive because nobody consciously I'm taking you back to thinking feeling cycle. Nobody consciously wants to be sick. But if I have sickness running in my subconscious, I will attract sickness to myself that out of my mouth I'm saying I don't want. And then I feel confused because I don't want it. And so then if I don't understand, Paul said it like this. He said, I got this war going on on the inside of me. We just tried to make that about whether we was going to fornicate or not. So we, everything for us is about whether we go cuss somebody or not, whether we go gamble or not, whether we go get drunk or not, he like, no, there is a war on the inside of me that when I want to do good, which is be who I really am, I got something on the inside of me telling me that I'm not really who I am. And then Paul says, he says, but that ain't me no more. That's sin. Well, let's define sin because I think that this is important because this really helped you not get struggled up in other people's sin. Let's go to 1 John 3 and 8, and if you have the Passion Translation, pull it up, and if not, I'll take whatever you got. Y'all learning anything today? If, if nothing else, learn some questions to ask. It says, But the one who indulges in the sinful life is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God was revealed was to undo and to destroy the works of the devil. The work of the devil is sin. Depending on how you grew up, when I say sin, you think of actions. I say, if I say so-and-so in sin, in sin is an action. So they shacking. That was our favorite one growing up in my church. If, some, if you said somebody was living in sin, that meant they was shacking, right? So when you think about the word sin, because I'm talking about your thinking feeling cycle, what do you think? Because what you think is going to determine how you interpret the scripture and everything that's going to happen next. Now, if you don't do any of the things that you consider to be the big sin list, you're like, oh, I'm good, I'm good. Uh-uh, I don't fornicate. I'm married. Well, I was going to cuss somebody out, but I didn't. That's got to count as a win. Um, yeah, not me. And then you become like that Pharisee who said that, who said, I thank God I'm not like that tax collector. And he's like, well, the tax collector can get healed because he know he need a healing. So let's define what sin is, what the Bible says sin is. Sin is to miss the mark to make a mistake. Now, let's walk through this. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil because the person who continually misses the mark is acting like the devil who been missing the mark from the beginning. He missed the mark from the beginning because he tried to take power that wasn't his to have. He wanted a position that didn't belong to him. So the way that he has gotten humanity to miss the mark is to get you to take a position that doesn't belong to you. From the beginning, he wanted to be God. So when he came to earth, he came to fight over identity. Every fight you have is a fight over your identity. Are you who God says you are or aren't you? So when I don't know who I am, I will miss the mark. I want to take sin further. I'm going to tell you, I got this from Bishop Jakes. Best definition of sin I've ever heard in my life. He says sin is when you try to get a legitimate need met through an illegitimate means. The need is legitimate. Your method is what's illegitimate. And because you don't know who you are, you don't know another way to get it. Because you don't know who you are, you don't know another way to get it, so you get it how you're living. He said, But the Son of God was manifested to undo this identity crisis. So let's talk about what it means to try to get a legitimate means met through an illegitimate way. Let's go to 2 Peter 1 and 3. While we're doing that, let's look at this example. So what do I mean you try to get a legitimate means met through an illegitimate need? When you don't know that you are already loved, you will use sex and money to get love. You are to be loved is a legitimate need. The problem is not that you want to be loved. The problem is that you do not know that you are loved. Your identity is not secure in love. So you begin to use means to get love that you were never supposed to use to get love. Legitimate need. Illegitimate means. Now, if you begin to divine sin like that, you will understand that what misses the mark goes way deeper than who you lay down with. Because you didn't apply for that job that God told you was yours. Because you believed that you didn't have the experience. You had a legitimate need, but you applied for another job because you didn't know who you were. So you used an illegitimate means to get provision. See, and you know what's beautiful about this? Is that if we embrace this, we will not have time to judge nobody we just like, okay, God, show me where I'm missing the mark. I'm already saved. I'm already going to heaven. I'm already forgiven. Now that we've dealt with that, can you help me deal with the things on the inside of me that are where my identity is altered so I keep messing up? Yeah. Yeah, um, I was thinking that the church is a lot like this. I was reading this that came up in my memories today. Um, there was a, several years ago. There was a story in Houston, I believe it was, where a girl had um, gotten in trouble for having sex in the bathroom. And when it came out, she had had sex with 23 boys back to back. And when I read that story, I thought, somebody right about that. So it took a couple of days for it to come out, and when it came out, what they said is that she had been stolen and had been in sex trafficking for three years where she was having sex with 60 to 100 men a day. So if you judge her behavior on the 23, you go, oh, my God, she's so nasty. But if you understand three years of 60 to 100 men a day, you go, maybe she's making progress. And the problem for us is that we try to judge each other without knowing where the identity has been misaligned and misappropriated. So I look at you today and say what you ought to be today because you're saying, but I don't have a clue what God has already unwrapped you out of, what he's already untangled you out of, what he's already shifted you out of. Because I'm standing here in my limited knowledge trying to judge who you should be when I don't know who you used to be. And one of the things that all the counselors kept saying is what a bad idea it was to put her back in that environment before her identity had been restored. Well, you're in the earth realm. Church ought to be the place where your identity is restored. But if you believe it's a place of struggle and to be beat up on and where we talk about people because they sin differently than we do and we think that we're better than somebody else based on political views, based on color, based on different kind of sins and all that kind of stuff, we miss the opportunity to say that maybe who you acting like, but I know who you are because I know your daddy. Every once in a while, I see a kid out and I know their mama. Typically, if I see your kid out and they acting up, I don't say nothing to you. I typically just say to them, I know your people. I know you better than that. I almost always say that. I know your people. I know you better than that. I'm amazed at how many kids shift when you tell them you better than that. But when you mess up, how do you even talk to yourself? What's your self-talk? I've been saved all these years. I can't believe I'm still making these stupid mistakes. Sean, you better than that. Find yourself. Locate yourself. You only smoke because you identify as a smoker. That's the only reason you would ever smoke. People say I smoke because I'm stressed. How many of you are not smokers and you've been stressed but you didn't smoke? You don't smoke because you're stressed. You smoke because you identify as a smoker. You curse people out because you identify. You have learned that that is your way to get your need met when you want people to leave you alone and you have asked them nicely. You go, I got some words you understand. You only curse people out because you identify as a cursor. If you didn't, you wouldn't. So, Let's look at second Peter. It says everything we need. Ooh, you should shout about that. Look at that. Read that. Guys, everything we could ever need for life and godliness has what? Already been deposited. How many know you can't make a withdrawal if it ain't been a deposit? You ain't trying to get healing. It's been Deposited. You're not trying to get provision and peace and deliverance and the ability to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. You ain't trying to get it. It's already in you. For all of this, I love the wording was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him. So, if knowing him ain't making you feel lavished, everybody got an idea what it means to live lavish, right? Like, I'm not trying to be funny, no shade. This is a nice building, but this ain't lavish, right? It's just a nice building, right? Most of us kind of live like this. He, like, I'm trying to lavish you with mercy and grace and healing, and provision, and deliverance. It's already been deposited. But when you don't know who you are, you will try to get it in an illegitimate means. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who are called by his name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his. Next verse. No, sorry. I know where you was going. Uh Uh-huh. I want you to go to 1 Peter 1 and 4. We We are reborn into a perfect inheritance that can never perish, never be defiled, and never Diminish. It is promised and preserved forever in the heavenly realm for you. Now, this ought to bless you, because you are a spirit man having an earthly experience. He said, if I put it all in you, you could contaminate it. But I actually put it in your spirit, which is seated in heavenly places, which means that even when your flesh get corrupt, what's preserved for you isn't corrupted. So you want to disqualify me for what I did, but he don't judge me for what I did. He just cleaned me up and keep talking to me. And here's the thing that I never understand that if you're a good parent, this is what Jesus actually says. He said, if you being good parents know how to give your kids good gifts, how do you think I'm a worse parent than you? Everybody in here who is a parent has said to their kids, I ain't buying you nothing else. I ain't take, don't act, don't ask me for nothing. Any parent will admit they ever said that. Anybody as a kid ever had their parents say that, but they was lying, even if you couldn't tell them they was lying. So if your earthly parents will intentionally forget how you messed up to bless you. How in the world do you think God doesn't intentionally separate your sin from you as far as the east is from the west so he can be good to you? All right. Look at, can you switch 1 Peter to King James? I want to give them a couple of definitions. We almost done, guys. Are you learning something? We almost done. All right. Yep. Okay. So say I'm reborn. Oh, it says, blessed be the God and the Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again into a lively hope. Second Peter, sorry. They say something similar, but we want second Peter. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Look at this, guys. Listen, I love this because, you know, I like definitions of word. The word pertain is a legal term. It means to belong to something. It's a part of something. So that's like if you sell somebody the business, if you don't tell them that you're not selling them the clients, the clients are a part of the business because they pertain to the business. Right. So he says, when you got saved, I have given you everything that is necessary, that is an appendage, that is an accessory to life and godliness. He got you the godliness by giving you the life. Because the word life there is Zoe, which is the God kind of life. So he says, I knew you were going to need to live in this planet. And in this planet, there were things you were going to need. You were going to need healing. You were going to need peace. You were going to need provision. You were going to need wisdom. So I gave it to you by making you like me so you could access it. He's already given us everything. He's already given us everything. All right, so let's think about this. Let's go to we want to go to Genesis 3, 1 through 5. What this scripture and one more scripture. I just I believe we're in this place where God is waking us up. And I believe that throughout every generation you found people, you can go back and historically look at people who have been awakened. And they're like, oh, healing is for everybody. Oh, deliverance is for everybody. Oh, provision is for everybody. And I want to say this because I know that people get upset when you talk about the prosperity gospel. But let me put this in context. There is no gospel that's not prosperity. The word Zoe means to be abundantly supplied. Now, you may be offended at the way that some of it's been taught. But just because we're offended with the way somebody taught healing don't mean we throw away healing. So what we do is we study scripture for ourselves and get revelation and insight for ourselves. But in truth, sometimes we're offended because we don't have a level of understanding about what somebody else understands. As a kid, you, been, you were offended with your parents a lot because you didn't think they knew what they was talking about. And then you kept living. And now you, today I did something that was just like my grandmother today. And as I drove off, I went, "Ooh, she was right. Huh. I'm 47 years old still understanding that some of the things that she said that I was offended by, she was actually right. It says, now the serpent was more crafty because we talked about Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So I'm talking, because I'm walking you through how he take, how he dealt with Eve based on identity. Now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, skilled, and deceitful than any living creature in the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent Satan said to the woman, can it really be that God has said you should not eat from any tree in the Garden of Eden? You got to be careful about the questions that the enemy asks you. Because off jump, he done twisted it, right? Any? So now you've you. now, now you, God don't want you to eat? He wants you to be hungry? Go to the next verse. And the woman said, we may eat from the trees of the garden. Keep going. Except the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. And God has said, you shall not eat from it nor touch it, otherwise you will die. Keep going. But the serpent said to her, you certainly won't die. Everybody's been pulled into a place like that. If you don't do it like God says, you certainly won't die. Well, you may not physically die, but you certainly create some death in your soul when you do things that God has asked you not to do. Some of you are healing from heartbreaks from relationships that God told you not to be in. That's death of innocence of love. He didn't say you couldn't have any love. He said you couldn't have that love. All right, keep going. It says, for God knows that the day that you eat it, your eyes will be open and that you will have greater awareness and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. Now, remember what I told you is that in the beginning of this thing, Jesus said, I beheld Satan in Isaiah says, I beheld Satan falling as lightning to the earth. If you go back and you read the scripture, what you find out is that Satan tried to overthrow heaven because he wanted to be God. God then puts Satan in earth. Now, you may be thinking, why in the world would God put Satan in earth and then put man in earth? Because he gave man dominion over Satan before he put him in the earth. I believe it vexes God if he was going to be vexed. To hear you saying that the devil has you when he's already giving you dominion over It's like watching somebody six, seven run from a little big three-pound dog. You're like, man. Or, 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 or are you big people who run from spiders that all you got to do is lift your foot up and crush the spider, but you have left your bedroom, left your house, got, had to call somebody over to come and get the spider. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says when you see the enemy for who he is, you're going to say, is this him? How in the world did he trick everybody? He's a spider. He's a spider. But when you see him, you take off running. When all you got to do is lift your foot up and smash him and you can get back in the bed. But now you're not slept on your couch for a week because you couldn't find the spider that was in your room. So he says to Eve, he says, if you do this, you'll be like God. And so then Eve, because she wants nothing more than to be like God, eats the fruit. People keep telling this story wrong. They were saying that Eve was trying to get what she wasn't supposed to have. No, Eve was trying to get what she already had. She looked up to God. She esteemed God. She wanted to be able to walk in the power and authority of God. And she didn't know she was already that. So she took a way to get it, which actually moved her further from God. And Jesus said, I came to destroy that deception. Because the deception of both Satan and religion is that you are far from God. Religion gets its strength on making you think how unworthy you are, how much shame you have, how pitiful you are, how you so little and how you should just be glad that God takes his time for you. You say things that sound noble like it's not about me. No, it actually is about you. It is so much about you that God became flesh, came to heaven in order to redeem you. My dear, it is definitely about you. It is definitely about you. And then you have to say, well, you know, I'm just godly proud. What does that even mean? I'm I'm, I'm so godly proud of you. What does that mean? If you are walking in your true identity, every pride you have is a pride of who God is. Man, I'm so excited. I saw you walking in your dominion. I saw you walking in your calling. Girl, I saw you sing like God created you to sing. That's dope. I love it when you do that. So... Let's go to Genesis 1. Yep, Genesis 1. 26 through 28, and then Luke 4, and we're done. So when God said, listen, if you want to know your real identity, stick in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, he said, let us make man in our image. This is pre-Jesus. Jesus. Let us make man in our image, not your outside. Let me make the essence of you like me. I'm creating you in my image. Not pitiful, not born, not not barely making it, not pathetic. Not sorry, not good for nothing. I made you like me, and I don't understand why human beings don't really get this. Because I see human beings who on social media all the time. You're gonna laugh when I say this, because you're gonna know who I'm talking about. People who swear their kids are their mini me. Your kid don't look nothing like you. <laughs> your kid don't. Your kid look just like they daddy, and you just keep on talking about my mini me. Why? Because we are created in the image of God to see stuff that looks like us. Whatever we created, we're looking for it to look like us. So God created humans to look like him. He already had cows. He already had giraffes. He already had angels. He created you to look like Him in the same way that we expect our kids not to be exactly like us, but it ought to be something in a strickling that when you see them talking, even if they don't look like me, my kids don't really look like me. But if you hear them talk, people say to me, I've talked to your daughter. She sounds just like you. So you may not think you look like God on the outside, but when you open your mouth, can we hear him? Can we hear him? When it's dark, what do you say? Because when it's dark, he says, let there be light. When, you, when it's dark, what do you say? Because he created you to call light into darkness, not to multiply darkness by talking about how dark it is. I'm going to stop here. I'm going to stop here. You're created in the image of God. Go to verse 27. Male and female. I love this. It, it, it has to be an accident that King James would have left this. As patriarchal as he is, but they left men and women, male and female created in his image. So not just men, women too. Next verse. And then he blessed them. When I taught y'all about the prayer of Jabez, what did I say a blessing was? It's when he activates you to go back to be who you was already created to be. So he creates them in his image and then he activates them to be what they were created to be. That's why it would confuse us if we saw a giraffe climbing a tree. We would be like, that's not what you're supposed to do. Believers love to talk about worship. You think worship is because you lifted your hands. You think worship is because you laid on the ground. But the Bible tells you what worship looks like and it always uses the elements to describe it. It says the ocean worships when it goes in and comes out. And the trees worship when they sway and they blow. And the pets and the animals worship when they do what they've created to do. So what good does it do for you to come in here and lift your hands and go out there and live like you don't know who you are? You just saying with your hands lifted. Because to worship something is to look at it. Kids learn by looking at their parents. So if you're looking at him, we ought to see you becoming like him. So Jesus came to destroy your false identity. How many of you have accepted Jesus? then you've already taken the first and most important step to destroy all false identity. But now you have to begin to ask for wisdom. God, what have I been taught that's not like you? What do I believe that holds me back? I'm going to end with this story. I put it on my social media yesterday, but you call it just like you see it. And that's the interesting thing in how human beings are created. You really are created like God. No other created being has the ability to see something, say something, see something, say something. Or say something, see something, say something, see something. Only human beings. And that is why God says, guard your heart. Because what comes out of your heart is go build your life. Whatever you have experienced. Whether you have a good day or a bad day, it's based on what you think. You don't have a good day or a bad day because of what happened to you. You have a good day or a bad day based on what you think. Have you ever seen like those those videos on Facebook? It'll be somebody who lost their legs, they lost their arms, but they figured out how to paint with their mouth. Like they got all of these reasons to just lay in the bed and not get up. And they out of school motivating kids. You could be anything. You could do anything. So clearly it's not what happens to you that determines what kind of life you have. It would make sense to us if they laid in the bed and said God had given up on them. And they didn't have no purpose and no destiny. But they will teach themselves how to write with their foot. So it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with it. It's how you see it. What does the loss of this job mean? Does this mean I don't have value? Why would I ever say that about myself? Jesus has already proven how much value I have. I lost a job. Great. I'll find another one. I was looking for a job when I found that one. It's just a job. God's my provider. They diagnosed me with that but God already has healing. I hear what they're saying. I respect what they're saying. They're just doing their job. Thankfully, they're limited. He's not. So I agree with him. So then I'm going to do the work and I'm going to let God dig up every place. Anything in me that thinks I deserve to be sick, anything in me that thinks the sickness in my life, the things like everybody got to die from something, old age old age meaning your assignment is done good night going home not sickness and disease you were not created and so if those are things that have been running in your background because everybody see because everything everything you believe you weren't consciously taught but if you watched everybody die of something There's something running in you that says this is how it goes. If you watch everybody in your family get diabetes, you're going to get diabetes if you believe that it's an inherited disease. You will eat your way to diabetes because you believe you're supposed to have it. So, what do you believe? Is this blood enough? Is it bigger? than what they said about you? Is it bigger than your own mistakes? Is it? Because whatever you believe, that's how you're gonna live. So if you need an offering envelope, lift your hand. I'm gonna tell you this story. I was thinking about this thinking feeling cycle because I've been teaching about it. Here's what it says. If you think a thing, you release a chemical, you release a chemical, you release a feeling. The feeling triggers another thought. The thought triggers another chemical. So when people say they have a chemical imbalance, they're not lying. They're telling the truth because your thoughts produce chemicals, good or bad. You are the greatest pharmacy you will ever have, you, inside of you. And so I was thinking about this. You know, you've heard the story. That there was a period of time where Pastor Edwin and I, we weren't necessarily in a great place in our marriage. More like third level of hell, something like that. And, um, and um, we would have got a divorce, except we had no money. We couldn't afford to pay the fee. So we was really probably just kind of both buying time. And then the Lord began to talk to me about saying the great stuff I loved about him. About Edwin. And when the Lord first asked me to do that, I was like, man, I got nothing. And let me tell you how you get to the place that you have nothing. You have so meditated on what's wrong with people, you can't see what's right with them. And if you do life with anybody any length of time, you go see what's wrong with them. Everybody think you amazing when you're dating and they go home. <laughs> Everybody's amazing. I mean, unless you're just a complete jerk. I mean, everybody puts on their best behavior when they're dating. Everybody's so sweet. I mean, and if they, listen, let me say, if you're dating somebody who doesn't know how to do that, you should break up with them because they're not a good. And listen, if they crazy dating, if they crazy dating, when y'all get in that house, they go unload that extra level of crazy because nobody gives their best crazy when they're dating. You know, you answer things softly. You say, they say, are you upset? You go, no, no, I'm not upset. Everything's wonderful. I'm just glad to be with you. Mary, you like, am I upset? Are you so stupid that you don't know when I'm upset? You can't look at my face and tell I'm upset. So if you're dating someone who already does that, break up, because it only gets worse, okay? But the Lord began to talk to me. He said, every day I want you to meditate on what you like about Edwin. And in the beginning, I had three things. He was a great dad. We ain't had nobody but table. He was a great dad. He was a great provider, and he was funny. Now, the truth of it is, God told me to add funny because at that time, I didn't like him, so most of his humor got on my nerves. And he was a great provider, but he was also a grudge holder. I'm going to give you an example. I was in law school. I needed a computer. He was working. I wasn't working. He was, he was mad at me. He hadn't spoken to me for two days. I told him I needed a computer. He took me, bought me a brand new state-of-the-art computer, never talked to me the whole time we was there. Would not ride in the car with me there. Basically was like, "Mm, I'll meet you there. Said to the man, give her whatever it is she needs. I'm like, do you think I should get this? He would say, tell her. Literally, he wouldn't talk to me, but he bought the computer. So the Lord was like, he's a great provider. I'm like, okay. And he's funny. So I started meditating. Every morning I would get up. It would take me like three seconds. I'd be like. He's a great dad. He's funny. He's a great provider. Up, But then the more I kept meditating on that, the funnier he got. And the more I could see his provision. And the more I could see what a great daddy was. And then there were all these other characteristics. And I was saying, man, we haven't had trouble in our marriage for years. But I realize I still do that every single morning. And then this is what the Lord said to me. He said, do you know, he began to give me a list of people who never get on my nerves. And he said to me, they don't get on your nerves because you always focus on what's good about them. And everybody who gets on your nerves is because you focus on what's wrong with them. And he said, and if it's that much wrong with them, why are you still doing life with them? And he said, you change your marriage because you changed what you saw. And you change what you saw, so you change what you said. So you change what you saw, so you change what you said. And then all of this stuff that just seemed to be something imaginary became something real. That is your creative ability. So what will you say about your life today? We say I'm healed. I'm satisfied with long life. No weapon formed against me and my family shall prosper. Um, There are angels in camp rounding about us that even when we're not together, God is watching over us. We have access to the wisdom of God. Even when somebody sets a snare for us, God has already provided a way of escape. Victory is ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors. We are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. Or will you go, man, it's dark out here. Come on and stand to your feet. We're done. Train yourself. What's coming out of your mouth? What are you saying about your marriage? Let me tell you something. Before you get to divorce, you have started talking about your bad, about your spouse. Well, before you got to divorce, nobody is like all in love. Oh, my God, this is so amazing. I'm going to divorce you. No, that's not how it works. You start going, oh, they make me sick. Oh, he get on my nerves. I hate the way he chew. At first, the way he chew was cute. Oh, look how he chew. That's so cute. And it's like, I hate the way he chew the same way with a puppy you get a puppy you're like oh my god look how cute he is look at all these pictures you dress them up and everything and then you started focusing on the fact that a puppy's being a puppy and so they chewed up something and then a puppy's being a puppy and it used the bathroom now mind you that you didn't take the dog for a walk which is why the dog used the bathroom and then before you know it this dog that you love more than life itself got to go when you on facebook tell me i will give it away free it's got shots it's got the crate it's got everything it's what you said. It's what you saw. So practice this week. Can you do that? Can you do that? I've seen relationships be restored because people just refuse to be mad. They just stop being mad. They were just like, listen, you probably are still crazy, but you know what? You make a great pound cake. God bless you. I love that pound cake. Every time I think about you, I just think, oh, you make a great pound cake. And you know what you find? Teachers tell us this all across the nation. You can take a kid that's grade levels behind and start telling them how smart they are. Start telling them how amazing. Oh, I just heard the Lord say this. Listen, you need to watch this. Those of you who have smart kids, you need to not wear them out about seeds because then you start to minimize their belief that they're smart. The way that we take kids who are behind and get them to catch up is we tell them how dope they are. A little baby take two steps and we just clap and go Facebook Live and take pictures and call. Before Facebook Live, you call. Everybody in your whole family. Johnny took two steps. He was wobbling all the way. So you need to make sure that you're being kind and gracious and encouraging the people in your life and telling them how amazing they are. And, and, and even when they mess up, you go, do you want me to lie to them? Well, is God lying to you when he tell you that you're righteous when you just got through sinning? No, I'm just asking you to be like God. I'm asking you to speak well to people. I know you're better than this.